Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's Big Fall Sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's a PGA podcast for Tuesday, April 9th. I'm Doug Norrie. That is Chris Durrell. Oh, we are here. You're on our baseball and basketball and football feeds, but we're not talking any of that today. It's all about the Masters this week. Is it a tradition like any other? Am I getting that right, Chris? Is it yes. a tradition? That, that's the commercial. I should know that by now by just watching a million tons of <laughs> CBS things. But uh, hello, or, friends. Yeah, Jim Nance's famous <laughs> voice. Oh, it's a great. It's a good thing to be known for. I think we're gonna sit here and discuss the Masters this week. It's obviously a huge week in terms of just overall sports. Um, and then obviously with DFS contests, they DraftKings and FanDuel really load up. Uh, the different contests you can play, just knowing that the public is going to be more interested in a major, especially this one that's probably the most famous golf major, uh, more interested in majors than any other time. So we get these four times a year. Masters is one that we want to sit and talk about and break down because it's our best chance to just hey, see who puts on the green jacket, see what kind of edge we can have in a, in a week where there are going to be a lot of people that are a lot of people that are going to come in, uh, you know, just knowing a lot about golf. And there's also going to be a lot of your just casual betters that are going to come in and just, you know, want to get money in on. The names they know. We're going to talk about some of those names that we know. Well, how? What's your excitement level for uh, Masters? Just in terms of, like, do you see it as the hype? You know, the juice is worth the squeeze with the hype um, on it, or is it kind of end up becoming such a publicly thing that it's hard to find an edge? Like, you can give me your overall thoughts about the match. We'll break down the course and and you know history and all that other stuff. But what are your overall thoughts leading into Masters week? Yeah, from a betting perspective, I mean, I love the majors in for the fact that you can find odds before um, the week. Like on a normal week, your your odds aren't coming out till Monday morning of that tournament, which starts on Thursday. For the, for the majors, they're posting them as far ahead as six plus months in advance, so you can really oh, I get know some that. edges there. Yeah, I know that, buddy. I learned that the hard way. We're going to talk about one of the bets I by mistake put in for the Masters this week later, but <laughs> knowing that the odds were in way too uh, far in advance. Well, do you find that to be a good? Like, do you find yourself getting in some of those? Those early odds kind of things i didn't this year um i don't know why i didn't i kind of missed the boat on that just busy with some other stuff but last year i did i got uh, patrick reed was the one that stood out um he was i think a couple weeks prior two or three weeks prior somewhere in that 40 to 48 to one range uh, you could get him at and, and i locked him in i think it was around 45 and then by the time the masters came around that the week of i think he was down around that 20 to 25 to one so i, I capitalized there um so I'll usually, you know, if I'm doing that for the majors, I'll usually try and lock in three guys early on that I like. Maybe someone that maybe just won a tournament or, you know, has put together a couple top tens back-to-back, um, playing really good uh, ball striking, that sort of thing. Um, maybe want to grab a player like that who's, you know, his odds are going to jump from, say, 80 to even like 40 or 60 or something like that. Just to get some value that way definitely makes sense. But for, for DFS, I absolutely love it. And I do things a little bit different. I don't play the millionaire maker. I just don't like the payouts. Um 
it's the least flat payout structure. I mean, it's a million dollars for first and then drops down to 150,000 sure. for second. And then 10th place is only 10 grand um, for $20 buy-in and 150 lineup max there. So that's not really for me. I look for a little bit more edge and there is some awesome contests this week, actually. Um, a couple that I'm really keen in on is the 20 max on, uh, it's a $4 max on DraftKings. And then there is a $5 on DraftKings as well, if you want to go with the 150 max, it's a lot flatter payout. 20 grand for first, 10 grand for second, and at least two times your your entry fee um, for last in the money, which is like I think as long as you make the top 9,500 in that contest, you're going to at least double your money. So I like I like that a little bit better. The flatter payouts. There's a lot you can do this week. Cash games, I think you can take advantage. Um, DraftKings has you know their salaries are you know set up because there's so many elite players and they want the public to play because it's a very public event the four majors is uh, the pricing you can definitely construct so many lineups just because you can fit them all in there's so many elite players and there's a lot of value guys in that seven eight k range that should be more but aren't because of the major yeah you know it's gonna look like you know i'm, I'm taking this from sort of a novice standpoint because i don't really play uh, dfs pj myself i kind of rely on you to give me the information i need but it makes sense for when you have all the best players in a structure like this especially where the cut line is you know a little easier to make it seems like than other tournaments and you do need some flatter you do need some flatter salaries that are maybe look a little softer on paper just because it's going to be hard to distinguish between all the best guys, right? It's like it's almost it's like almost like the NBA All Star Game sort of thing. It's like where, well, of course you're going to be able to make all these lineups. It's all the best players. How are we going to really distinguish? No one's going to be two thousand more than the next closest guy. There's no like Mike Trout of this group who's just you know laps the field in terms of right. how good or James Harden for basketball or you know Russell Westbrook that just end up lapping the field maybe even over like the net you know the fourth highest guy. It just doesn't seem like it works like that for golf. Well, let's talk a little bit about. How much you look at the course, uh, more than most other majors, or actually really most other tournaments, we get we have long course history here um, with Augusta in terms of, you know, they just play the same course every single year. How much does that factor into how you build out some models? Are you, do you, can you take a lot from what's happened here historically? Is it something that doesn't end up mattering as much? Like where, how do you view Augusta here just in general? And then we'll kind of talk about some stats and things like that later on. But wait, let's just start with the mm-hmm. course. What do you look for um, in terms of golfers and, and about this course and how other golfers have performed here in the past? For sure. So you mentioned the cut. I want to touch on that before yep. we go further. The cut this week, uh, normal week is going to be your top 70 and ties make it to the weekend. This week, um, it's a smaller field. We've only got 87 players and the cut is top 50 in ties. And then anyone within 10 strokes of the lead. So say the leader's at minus four. Um, and then you've got some guys that are um, 10 strokes behind that. They're going to make the cut too, even if they're not in that top 50 um that happens some years some years it doesn't but still you're, you're narrowing it down to about 50 to 60 golfers going into the weekend so that's the first thing to, to keep in mind um small field and that only you know if we if 60 golfers make the weekend that means only 27 are going to miss the cut so for cash games especially this week you want more than just guys that are going to make the cut you want some upside i almost think of it as like kind of a wgc event where there is no cut um you you want a little bit more upside with your cash games this week and i mean to win some of these big tournaments you're going to need the winner probably three inside the top five and all of them inside the top 10 um i mean that can definitely happen and one of the big trends i guess before i get into the course here from a strategy standpoint over the years you're going to hear this a lot i've even said it a lot is leave salary on the table well you go back and look at the millie makers especially that's what people people focus on those winning lineups over the last few years are using like 
up to two to three hundred dollars of their salary. So they're almost maxing out their, their salary. So that's kind of a misconception, I guess you could say. Um, just build the best lineup is is what I would say. And then getting into the course. Um, course history is something I definitely look at a lot more here at Augusta just because of the event, um, the venue, Augusta National Golf Club, um, just how pristine it is and how it's a little bit different of a course. Um, you can definitely, bombers do good here because the fairways are a little more generous, but it comes down to approach shots for me because these are larger greens, like average, a little bit larger than average greens, but the thing with them is they're very, very fast, probably the fastest greens um, in North America, maybe even the world, so I would definitely looking at golf who are putting good on fast greens but with those greens they're very undulated and some of the greens you can knock a third of that green off because if you land it in that area of the green it's just going to roll off the green and you're going to be chipping back onto the green so i think your proximity is very important when coming down so i'm definitely looking at the approach shots focusing on proximity over the off the tee game this week and then because of all those roll-offs on the green um, a lot of guys are going to be missing the green because of that the shave banks around the greens I think scrambling and stroke skin around the green is very vital. And you do see that in a lot of players um, when when they're getting asked about it in interviews, what's important around here. And that's one of the things that you hear a lot of them talk about. What was the last thing? The the the, the approach shots around the green was the, the thing that uh, I mentioned? Stroke skin around the green, uh, right. scrambling. So like your, your short chips and stuff, you know, missing the green, trying to save pars. And then three-putt avoidance. Because these greens are so hard and fast, um, Patrick Reed talked about it. He said, you know, most courses you can go in a six-foot putt, doesn't matter if it's above the hole or below the hole, you know, it, it's pretty easy on most courses. You come here where it's super fast, a putt six six feet below the hole is so much easier with that uphill putt versus above the hole where you're putting downhill. That can turn into a three-putt like nothing. So definitely looking at that as well. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at just even past winners and past scores, you do see some of these scores that over the course of the weekend, minus five, minus nine, minus eight, you know, that's three of the last five years have been the winners. That's really, that's not leaving a lot of margin for error when it comes to, like, these aren't, you're not, you get Patrick Reed minus 15 last year and Spieth minus 18, you know, four, four years ago, but um, that, you know, those scores do speak to a course that maybe does play more difficult more yep. often than it does more often than it doesn't right like so yep. even though it's a course that the, a lot of these guys have maybe seen many times you know you got tiger woods playing here forever but um maybe that it just doesn't matter as much when the course plays this tough like is that a good sum- summary sort of of the course so that it's, it's you might know it well but that do- that only means so much because the course still plays very tough yeah, it, it definitely does play tough. It's like normally within the top 10 of the hardest courses out of the 52, 53 courses, I think, that are on tour every year. Um, so even though we do see those low scores sometimes, it, it is very, very tough when you're looking at an average score of all the players in the field. I mean, you could probably figure out that average take out some of these old guys in the bottom, you know, past Masters champs, um, because they definitely affect that score. But I mean, that's been the same forever. So, um, But usually guys that play well here do play well here, and we will get into that as we get into the picks here. So, so you don't think my Larry Mize plus two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever he's going off for is a good bet this week? You don't think that you're probably not? <laughs> yeah, you're probably not cashing. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, let's talk about some of these golfers because obviously when you get into these majors, you're going to just see all the golf, all the golfers you know. Uh, like, and I'm saying collective you in terms of the, the the average golf fan and even the below average golf fan, the person that's just tuning in for the weekend is going to know a decent amount of these names. And there's going to be some that maybe jump off the page for you, but um, they're going to know. The Tiger Woods and I think you know the Royal McIlroys and these guys of the, of the world and maybe maybe I follow golf just a little, you know ten percent more than the average person so I'm I'm recognizing all the names but once we need to once we've agreed that all the superstars are here how do we begin 
how do we begin drilling down on the list? Because even if you're putting in 150 lineups for the thing, I, you're never going to be able to cover every iteration of every golfer. So you're going to need to pick a lane at some point on golfers that you think are you know worth it for the price. And I think we've also kind of agreed that pricing maybe is a little soft. You're going to be able to make the lineups you want to make. So at that point, how are you starting to just drill down on maybe the core group that you're looking at uh, in terms of you know what they bring to the table, knowing that I can basically have my pick of all the best golfers in the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, it's it's kind of similar to every week. Like I'm looking at course history, current form, and stats, and I kind of want a golfer who checks off all those boxes. Um, I mean, just because they they're, they don't have good form or, or they don't have good course history summer doesn't mean they can't pop and win a tournament that golf's that variable. But at least for my core guys, when i first trying to get, you know, say two or three from the top tier and two or three from the mid tier and two or three from the bottom tier, when I'm going about my article on Sunday and, and Monday, I definitely start with guys that check all the boxes. Those are going to be my core guys, guys that I will, you know, play in cash games that I'll have more exposure to. And then I start breaking it down a little bit more. Okay, where do these guys fit? Why don't they check all the boxes? And just kind of dig in a little bit deeper um, into those, you know, the secondary. And then even, you know, building 150 lineups, you're going to need a lot larger player pool. Like for 20 lineups, I'm probably using a player pool of like 12 players, maybe sure. 12, 13 players, somewhere like that. 150, you're getting up there in the, almost the whole field, <laughs> you know, like 40 to 50 golfers in 150 lineups. So you really got to start breaking it down. But yeah, exactly. You can't roster everyone. Um, like the normal person um, that's going to be out there, the average person isn't going to be running 150 lineups. That's where the 20 maxes are awesome, or even the three maxes, stuff like that on DraftKings, that the way they do it makes it nice. But you really need to narrow down your field, and events like this make it very hard. So that's, so that's kind of the way I look yeah. at it. So start narrowing it down for us then. Where do you okay. stand? Like, Give me some you – know, like, among this core group, I'm going to put the top group – yeah, on DraftKings, you're looking at like the 12,000 to like, you know, 10,000-ish range maybe as that top group. Maybe if you're looking at odds, you're looking at anyone from, I'll say like plus 2,800 and, and below, something like that. Yep. That's, that's maybe like the top 15. That's like McElroy through uh, – we'll Casey, Tommy, even the yeah, 9 Casey, up. Yeah, yeah, Tommy Fleetwood, Casey, guys like this. Um, you know, what, uh, among that group, who's like standing out to you in terms of sort of checking all those boxes? McElroy was number one for me. Um, he – He's had excellent course history here, top 10 in five straight here at Augusta. His form is absolutely amazing. He's coming off a T9 at the match play, but I'm not really looking at that. I'm looking at stroke play events. He's coming off a win at the players, and he's finished sixth or better in all of his tournaments on the PGA Tour in 2019. So he's got form. He's got course history. He's looking to complete his career grand slam, which just means uh, he's won every major once. That's a pretty elite group um and he's come close so many times so i think it's you know he's finally going to take that step i think he's the favorite for a reason um i also think he's going to be high owned as well just being that it's flatter price and he's only 300 dollars more than dj um they're the only two in the 11k range and the 12k range on FanDuel. so he's definitely number one for me but starting to go down a little bit someone who i think i'm going to pivot for gpps who I think is going to be lower owned, someone I'll be using in those big tournaments and focusing on, is Justin Thomas. Um, just kind of looking at, I use Fanshare Sports. They kind of put together all the stuff that's out there. I talk about it all the time with PGA. They go and they look at all the articles, videos, blah, 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 put it all together and give a sentiment rating. Like, are people saying to play this guy? Or are they saying not to play him? Um, and then they have projected ownership in two. And it looks like Justin Thomas is going to be the lowest in projected ownership. I ran a custom model looking at 
um, pretty much the last 24 rounds of data um, from Fantasy National, along with a little bit of strokes gain putting on like fast lightning fast greens. And then I added in as well um, some strokes gain total just at Augusta National to look at some course history. And Justin Thomas is number three in my model. He's just, he's popping everywhere. He's eighth in strokes gained approach, 28th in uh, strokes gained total here at Augusta. So not the greatest, um, of course, history. So I think that pushes some of that low ownership as well. He's second in strokes gained around the green over the last 24 rounds, fifth in strokes gained par four. And that's something I wanted to mention as well. Just kind of breaking down, looking at the winner of Augusta going back to 2012 the the winner of the event has led the field in strokes gained par 4 scoring in four of those seven events has been top three in six of those seven events and hasn't been worse than eighth in par 4 scoring um, in any of those events par fives looking at the par fives um, three times a golfer has been outside the top 20 and as low as like 89th and par five scoring. So I'm definitely focusing on par four scoring this week. I think that's where golfers can make their make their hay. So Justin Thomas definitely stands out. And then for cash games, crazy, if you're building, we'll, we'll oh, yeah, real go quick. ahead. Yeah, that, that's a crazy. That seems like an awesome correlation between like those those events and like just kind of honing in on where what certain events can be sort of predictive. And I also do know when yep. we were running some more like. Um, standard deviation stuff and just consistency rankings on golfers, which I haven't updated for this year. So that's my bad for not doing it. I should have done it going into the Masters and I just kind of just bricked on it. But I do know, I, and I very much doubt this changed because the sample size was huge in these last seven or eight tournaments that aren't in there, I don't think is going to matter. And I know Thomas like made the cut in all of them, so this is probably only going to help it. But Thomas was one of the most just like consistent golfers on mm-hmm. over, over like a, a large sample size. Like he was... In terms of our models, he was consistently ranking just maybe as the best golfer at times. You know, like it would depend mm-hmm. on like sort of a week to week basis. So seeing him as the that was just that was a guy that just jumped out to me from just knowing that model and knowing the consistency and knowing how much better he had been compared to most of the rest of the field in terms of a percentage basis. The fact that he was the sixth most expensive golfer struck me as that just kind of jumped off to me as value, value. Also, right? Yeah, like just yep. because I like, again rerunning these numbers, my guess is they wouldn't deviate all that much. Because there was, you know, hundreds of tournaments in there, and this is only yep. ten. There's only five or six more that aren't. So my guess is that he would end up becoming probably something like one of the best values, uh, just based points on that per model. dollar. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, what about cash? Talk to me about cash games too, because I know you're kind of yeah. Cash out. games, I like going more balanced, and this week is so easy to go balanced. Uh, the guy that stands out to me in the top range is Paul Casey. He's been amazing here, fifteenth um, last year, and then sixth, fourth, and sixth before that. He's also coming off a win. Um, he was in the match play as well, and I believe he lost out in the round of 16. Um, again, I'm not really looking at it. That's a totally different kind of golf than stroke play golf. Again, he's coming off a win at the Valspar before that. He missed the cut at the players, but he's only missed five cuts since the start of the 2017 season. So talk about consistency. He's definitely uh, the model of consistency. And now that you know he used to have that label, can't win, can't win, he's won. And that goes for the same. I, I put in the same basket there is Matt Kutcher. He's even cheaper at 7,900 on DraftKings, 9,700 on FanDuel. He's been super consistent as well. Um, had that, had that label for a long time. Like he, well, he's not really a winner. You can't really bet him outright kind of thing. He's already won twice this season. Um, he hasn't missed a cut in 11 events and he's only 7,900. So those two, I'm probably going to start my core cash games with this week. Um, just cause it's really cheap and you can really go any other way after that. You can go cheap and go stars and scrubs. It's, I wouldn't even call it stars and scrubs this week because a lot of the hashtag scrubs or sorry air quotes scrubs aren't really scrubs they're just cheaper than they should be just because of the field yeah um, well do, so real that's quick, definitely do you downgrade 
Do you downgrade Kucher because he doesn't tip his caddy well? Is that going to downgrade in your model <laughs> at all? Like, um, I don't know if, where you factor that in, and like in terms of like his caddy not really helping him because he can win a tournament and then just like I don't know, give him pennies on the dollar on the tip. Does that factor into how much help he's getting on the course, or do you don't really care? You know, that might give him a boost, the asshole boost, because I mean Patrick Reed <laughs> no one likes because he's an asshole and he won last year. So I mean, if Kucher's maybe that's what maybe that's his angle this year. Maybe if I be an asshole like Patrick Reed. Uh, I'm gonna win the Masters. Yeah, and get everyone a green likes jacket, a good villain. So. Yeah, like a, like a good villain in your story to like just be like yeah, you know yeah, exactly. Especially, especially for all those those working the working Joes and Josephines out there that just are are living off tips to see that you know could just give them like what three percent instead of the customary ten or whatever it ends up being. All right, give me a so we talked about some of these guys. I, I love the Thomas call. Like I said, just in terms of what, what our older model had done in terms of consistency. I know Paul Casey was actually right there among usually those guys that you could get good odds on because. At least in the past, they hadn't won. But if you looked at the long-term sample, there were there was definitely a lot of reason to like what the, kind of what they were being. I know Justin Rose was another guy that was another one that yeah, usually vaulted always at the top. the top. Yeah, he's third in odds at plus twelve hundred right now. Uh, Thomas is at plus sixteen hundred. Casey plus twenty eight hundred. So you do get that next jump down, which you actually probably are getting some value. You probably you definitely because of like how concentrated it is at the top. It seems like you are getting value in like this plus twenty hundred, plus twenty eight hundred to plus three thousand, eh, thirty three hundred sort of range. Give me some other guys that you're honing in on cash. Um, I'm gonna bring up a couple guys. I don't think you're gonna bring up. I'm gonna bring up some just some publicy names later. But give me some other guys okay. that, you're, that you've maybe targeted uh, that are kind of checking the boxes for your models. Matt Siam is currently number five in my model, um, and I don't factor in salary. And if I did, he'd probably be higher at 8,700 on DraftKings. Points per dollar wise, that's just excellent. He's 28 to one. I even like that number at 28 to one to get in there a little bit on him. He's always been, you know, known as an excellent ball, elite ball striker, but not a great putter. Um, he's coming in hot off the players. Um, where he gained strokes, I think like 3.6 strokes putting in the final two rounds. Um, so he, he does have, I guess, a hot putter. Two rounds isn't a huge sample size by any means. But if he even if he's like field average with that elite ball striking, I think um, he makes an excellent value. And he 19th last year, but he was 11th, 7th, and 5th in three years prior to that. So he has had top 10s here. And I think top 10, top 5 at 8,700 on DraftKings makes a lot of sense. And he's been good this year as well. So definitely looking at him. Um, going down the board a bit, GPP-wise at like 7,300, I like Matthew Fitzpatrick. I think Cameron Smith, Webb Simpson, Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, all right above him. Um, Brant Snedeker below him. I will have a lot of Brant Snedeker. But I think Fitzpatrick sitting in right in, in between those guys is going to make a good GPP play. You get looking at his form and stuff, and he, he's kind of a guy that he's, he's either really on one week and getting a top 10 for you, or he's really off and either missing the cut or finishing like, 75th 69th somewhere down there so that's why i kind of he's not consistently making cuts or consistently putting out top 20s so i'm definitely looking at him as a gpp play only with that top 10 upside cheap price tag he's 100 to 1 odds um i think that's even gone back i think i found him at 125 to 1 maybe this morning i think that was i forget what site that was but yeah 150 on five dimes right now um definitely gonna search that out yeah, for sure. And now then you mentioned, mentioned- boy, you mentioned my boy Webb Simpson. I'm just going to bring it up because you only mentioned his name a second ago. <laughs> Back in October, I by mistake I thought I was betting him for like whatever, like the Genesis Open or something. I can't remember what it was. Like I liked him in in one of these uh, one of these smaller tournaments where he was you know one of the top five golfers in that field. And I got him, and I was like, oh my god, the, this number is like just nuts. It was like plus eight thousand or something like that. I was like, this is the most insane value. Our model has him like easily just like winning this top ten, and then I realized I was. Later, like the donkey that I am, I would bet him for the Masters. So um, he, I think, I think I'm at plus. I'm just double check. Yeah, I'm at plus 
8,000 on him. He's actually back to plus 9,500 now for the Masters. So uh, I guess you know, I got in worse value. I should get it like I should maybe take him, take him. If I thought he was good value at a plus 8,000, I should get him at 9,500 now. So uh, I'm, I'm not loving my Web Citizen chances uh, on the donkey bet that I put in, but hey, stranger things and all. all right, walk me through anyone else that, I, that you haven't, that, yes. I, that, I, that I've cut you off on and not being able to touch on yet as I lament my not inability to read, you know, what betting sites are telling me I'm going to bet even when they ask you to confirm it. <laughs> give me, uh, give me some other value targets here then i'm gonna ask you some questions on some guys for sure um two value targets i wrote up in the article that really stood out to me were uh kevin kistner um he's definitely one he is coming off a win at the match play and before that he had finished top 30 in five straight events just super consistent top 30s over and over and over again at 6700 is almost a cash lock add on to that that he's played the masters three times T37 in 2016, T43 in 2017, and a T28 last year. So that was his career high um, at the Masters last year. Um, so definitely going to be looking at him at six. It just seems just way too cheap. And then last week's winner, even cheaper, Corey Connors. It's tough to. It's his first career win, so it's tough. He was a Monday qualifier, so it was a really really good story. Not real sure. I would say GPP only just because we don't know what his week was like after getting his first career win. You know, media, is going to be tired? We don't really know any of those narratives, really. But he has been super consistent um, when it comes to the statistical side. He hasn't been consistent when you look at his cuts. You know, he's missed cuts before this. I think he had missed two cuts and had like a, a bottom of, you know, T67, something like that um, there as well. So the form hasn't been there, but the stats have been there. His off the tee game, he's top 10 in. He's top 10 in approach. So his ball striking is awesome. It's just the putting hasn't been great. So if he puts together another putting round, I think at his price, he just makes sense for GPP as well. Yeah. And he, he has played here once before, hasn't done great. Um, I believe that was back in 2015 at T73. So, um, But he has played here. So he has stepped on the course and played it before, which I like to see. Yeah, even that—that that was a, the Monday qualifying one was even one I had heard about, like a, you know, getting in, a, getting in late into the tournament, and people, yeah. you know, people were off him because they just didn't even understand his name in the player pool, and then the comeback and win. I want to bring up before we get out of here, I do want to bring up some publicy kind of names because that's something that I'm always wondering your opinion about. You know, what when the name drives the narrative, or when the name drives the bet, and sometimes those two things are synonymous because narratives do drive bets um, when it comes to just, especially in terms of public vote, excuse me, voting, geez, public betting. Um, Tiger Woods plus fifteen hundred right now, fourth overall. So Rory, Rory is plus six. I'm looking at five dots. Rory's uh, plus sixty six. Uh, Dustin Johnson plus nine seventy five. Then we have Justin Rose at twelve hundred, and then Woods is the fourth of that group. My question was, I mean, looking at these odds, um, my first inclination was this is because he's Tiger Woods that he's this high, right? Like that his maybe because I just haven't followed golf enough, or I haven't seen him in the Winter's Circle, or I've just kind of only followed the majors. This number struck me as a public number, but do you agree with that? Am I right? I'm pleading ignorance here because that was just my gut, not really, you know, understanding, you know, all the stuff about golf betting. But where do you land on Tiger Woods at these odds? Is he the fourth best golfer in this field? Because that's what Vegas is suggesting right now. Um, And I'm just wondering if you think that's correct, if it's high, it's low. What are your thoughts here on Woods? Because people are going to want to know about him. Oh, it's a tough one because, first of all, he hasn't had – I, I I mean, for a normal golfer, the results he's had this year would be great, like T20, T15, T10, T30. That's not 
fourth best in the field kind of numbers I'm looking for. Like for instance, Rory McIlroy is at six to one. Um, I'm just looking at my sheet. It might be a few days old here. So, but he's coming in with a first, sixth, second, fourth, fifth. Like I said, sixth or better in every tournament this year. Dustin Johnson's coming in with better form. All top tens in four straight. You got Justin Rose with his form. So even Justin Thomas a little bit before these last two tournaments. So I would put him more in like the sixth. So it, I feel like it is a little bit public and is, you know, it's a little bit too much for him. I definitely won't be betting him, but you get looking at his stats. You know, I talk about results and sometimes stats and results, you can be playing good, but one little thing goes wrong every week and you're not going to get those results. Um, so definitely wanted to look at that. He's sixth in that custom model that I came up with. He's top 10 in strokes gained approach par four around the green um, in the last 24 rounds. I mean, he's nailing it there. Um, off the tee, he's 28th. He's got the distance um, there as well. So uh, I think I, I can see why it would be that. I can see why a lot of people are going to bet him, why a lot of people are going to play him. Um, but I would, you know, I'd like it more in like that 16, 17 to 1 range. There's guys that I will bet, like I'm dropping down into the 20s for, for my outright bets. Um, because I think McElroy's the clear favorite here, but I just don't want to bet him at 6-1. to one. So I'm going to take some stabs with some guys in the 20s that I think will be there on Sunday. And, I mean, if you're on the leaderboard on Sunday, you've got a chance. We've seen that in, in 2015 um, with Jordan Spieth, who I think you're going to ask me about next with that uh, epic collapse. Yeah, yeah, Spieth is the next one. Just, to, you know, real quick, just a circle on Tiger, and then we can go on to Spieth. But the, you know, the, the thought process of, Especially when it comes to, look, you want to be mathematical with odds for sure, but you also can just be tiered in terms of these odds because of the way golf is structured. Um, you know, you, you want to kind of hammer. I think it seems to me like the best process would be to hammer a tier. And if you are, if, if t- Woods in terms of the odds is sitting a tier above where he should be, then you're not getting, you could probably just do a, an eye test and say you're not getting good value on it, right? Like yeah. um, that seems to me like a good, a, at least a layman's way of maybe approaching of approaching some of these odds to say if he's if the stats don't bear him out as in, in this top tier of guys then you're then almost by proxy you're getting better odds on everyone below him right because the odds yeah. are all structured in a way that there's only going to be one winner here so they they need to it needs to work out correctly mathematically right so like exactly um, so if there's a guy that's too high you're almost definitely getting better odds on every single guy sitting below him if you think that they're you know are actually better than Woods now in that mm-hmm. case. Speeth, you know, you mentioned the collapse. <laughs> he did win. He did win here four years ago, right? Like he was, he was. He won the year, year before that, yeah. And then and he, he had an up. epic bomb on the. Even I know about this one where he bombs on the on the Sunday where he's many strokes ahead and Willett comes back. back nine. Really, Willett didn't really come back. Like Speeth just absolutely Give had like him. a tin cup. <laughs> he had like a tin cup like meltdown on on the back. Um, where do you stand with him right now? Like he's twenty plus twenty one hundred, at eh, twenty two hundred. Let's say he's plus twenty two hundred. So he's sitting right outside, right in that top ten range. He strikes me as a guy that the public understands and maybe the public even has narratives about because I even if you look follow some of golf Twitter which I do there there's almost no more polarizing guy than Spieth when it comes to like what people view him as as a golfer especially going into every tournament correct me if I'm wrong but it does seem like a name that pops up more than others probably because he's had the highest of highs and lowest of lows where do you stand on him in terms of his odds his chances here do you think he's valued correctly do you think that public blowups have hurt his odds a little bit in a ways they should have give me your thoughts here on speed it's crazy the dfs community um especially even the pga betting community on twitter um surrounding that is like always against speed just because he's you know pretty much sucked lately he's he has seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and he is especially here it's always the narrative with 
the Masters because he's finished. This is his 2014 to last year. Second, first, second, 11th, third um, at the Masters. And that's driving that 18 to 22 to 1 number right now. No, not buying into that whatsoever. I probably wouldn't even bet him if he was like 30 to 1, to be honest with you. He hasn't had a top 10 since the Open last July. Um, that's a long time for an elite player in the world. Uh, again, air quotes, elite player in the world. Used to be elite player, I guess we'll call him. Um, that's Those just aren't odds for me. He just hasn't been there form-wise at all. I mean, like I said, course history is huge, so he's a good pop. I'm definitely going to have him some in DFS at only 8900 You know, he's fallen out of that top tier in pricing. So I'll definitely mix him in in some GPPs on DFS, but I'm not buying into that uh, outright win odds, that's for sure. Yeah, I love that I love that thought process because, again, if we're looking at these tiers and we're saying – because right now he's a better you, – you mentioned other guys ahead of him. Like you mentioned Paul K- – I know some of this is like DFS-driven where price matters, so I'm not yep. I'm not making a one-to-one corollary in each of these things because when you're putting together DraftKings and FanDuel lineups, you do need to – factor in price right like if speed was a dollar you'd play him in every single lineup and if he's twelve thousand, yeah. you would never play him at all so then the truth exists somewhere in between that's why i always try to tell people but in terms of odds the truth doesn't maybe always exist somewhere in between because guys you mentioned as maybe just liking outright as winners have better odds paul casey plus 2800 you say matsuyama at plus 33 um i'm sure there's even other guys that maybe if you're if you're if you think speed and woods are both a little bit too high that means we're getting even better implied odds than some of these other golfers that you liked um, yep. just maybe outright even more. I mean, uh, I'll throw out a couple more names because these are guys, again, that um, just you know just getting your opinion on that are maybe some more publicy names that have finished high up here. Uh, Brooks Kapka is a 2,800. Dustin, you, I'm going to throw out a bunch of names. You can just pick one of these guys to talk about. Um, Dustin Johnson, he's second overall in odds. We haven't talked about him at all. I mentioned Rose a little bit. I mentioned Woods. Um, you mentioned Kutcher. I'm just kind of skipping down the list. But I guess between Dustin Johnson, Kapka, mostly because he's just built like a linebacker, and I love that he's good at golf. <laughs> um, and another guy that I've seen kind of popping up in terms of people having discussions about this week were Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, any of those guys jump out to you one way or the other as maybe being overrated or underrated uh, in terms of where they exist in terms of their DFS salaries or their overall odds? Yeah, first of all, Tommy Fleetwood you mentioned. Absolutely love him this week. He's been so consistent since coming over. He's a European Tour guy. Um so he came over. He's been playing really well. He's coming in with back-to-back top fives. Finished 67th, 62nd at the Masters in 2017. Huge bounce back, bounce back last year. Finished 17th, T17 there. Um, I think that's like his floor this week is a top 20. I think his upside is winning. Um, I'll probably bet him at that 25 to 30 to one, depending on where I can find it as well. Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose. I mean, if you're if you're going stars and scrubs and you're building a ton of lineups, I'm gonna have. The most of Rory, probably then Dustin, and then Rose below him. And simply because of an ownership thing, because I think just being that Rose is cheaper, I think he's going to be more high-owned than Dustin Johnson. It's probably going to be pretty close. Um, But Kopka, he doesn't pop on my model right now. His form has been off, but he pops at majors. He loves the majors. He wants to win every major. He thinks everyone's out to get him. It seems it sounds like whenever the media talks to him, like, oh, you guys didn't even want to talk to me uh, prior to the tournament type thing. I've won back-to-back uh, U.S. Opens or whatever. You know, he plays that card. I think he's going to be lower owned because of the form, especially to the public in some of these bigger tournaments where the public's going to be in. And he has a T33, T21, and T11 at the Masters, so he's gotten better at Augusta every single year. I think him and Justin Thomas, if you were looking for a low um, top-tier two-man two stack, I guess we'll call it here um, for PGA, if you wanted to go that route, Kopka and Justin Thomas is going to be one of the lowest-owned two-man combos, I think, in that top tier. 
Well, buddy, Bruce Kapka doesn't pop in your model, but you know what pops? His biceps out of his golf shirt. So that's why. Yeah, I, this uh, is true. <laughs> I was just I was gonna tee up, <laughs> I was gonna tee up that joke to end the podcast with, buddy. That was perfect. <laughs> all right, dfsr.com. We'll get you started on our subscription model. I'll put that in our uh, chat, or excuse me, in the in the show notes here. Uh, Chris is always giving away. Uh, he's got a bunch of just different models and sheets that he's always out of the goodness of his heart putting out there for the public to use and make their own decisions on. He'll be in our dfsr chat talking golf as well, buddy. Enjoy the Masters. I will, I'm going to put some bets in here so I can sweat along with you on Sunday. Awesome. Let's, good luck this week, everyone. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.08%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 1.25% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.